As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and it, he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, my name is Amari Hill. I'm one of the assistant pastors here. Um, Pastor Howard is not here with us today because he is preaching, teaching at a men's retreat for one of our sister congregations at uh, Midtown Church, which is in Raleigh, I believe. And um, it was a church that was planted by our mother church who helped us to get started, uh, Uptown Church, which is in Uptown. And uh, so he's uh, upstate. Uh, teaching at that retreat and would definitely ask that you continue to pray for him but he'll be back uh next sunday to um start up a, a probably a new series that we'll begin to do but this sunday uh we're going to conclude our easter series and we'll get into that in a minute but before i get to that i also wanted to uh, thank mike moore who is uh, one of our elders uh, a faithful elder um, who has been involved behind the scenes shepherding people through some very difficult situations. Um, he and his wife, Yvonne, have partnered together um, to serve others. And I don't know if this was announced last week because I wasn't here, but he's taken a sabbatical now uh, for this year, and he has worked very hard um, to care for so many in our church. And so I just want to give thanks to God for him and for his wife. Thank you, Morris. Um, I have the difficult task. This is sort of this is terrible for a preacher today because, all right, so I, I saw Endgame last week, and it's filled with all these illustrations, but I can't use any of them because half of y'all in here haven't seen the movie yet. So I feel terrible as a preacher. You know, I'm like, oh, there's so much stuff that I could use in the sermon today, but I can't ruin the movie. And I thought, what could I do to fix that, you know? You know, um, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, but, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I use that, um, you know, I thought, I thought I'd inject just a little bit of humor, too, because I, as all of you know, uh, our city has been hurting. Our city's been hurting this past week, uh, the shootings that have happened at a campus. I faithfully got to serve at for three years, uh, serving college students there, starting a RUF chapter there. Um, Niner Nation is near and dear to my heart, as it is to many of you. 
And, um, it, you know, and as that, as the, after that shooting happened and that young man who courageously um, stopped things, who put his life in, in, in harm's way and lost his life uh, and sacrificed to save so many others um, who could have lost their lives, those things are weighing on us. And yet, as that came forward, then we realized that there have been over uh, 40 homicides as well um, so far this year in our city. And that's one too many. That's one too many. And, and in the, of course, the untold stories of other young people who've uh, been cut down in streets uh, due to crime, that sort of deal, uh, going on in their own neighborhoods. And um, so those statistics, we want, we want to see those things begin to decrease. Um, I also want to thank, and uh, I didn't plan to do this, but I, I'm just seeing um, one, of our, uh, one of the faithful members of our police department out in the, the lobby there. I don't know if he can hear me from here, but thank you. Thank you to um, Charlotte Mecklenburg PD for all the work that you've been doing. We're going to continue in this Easter series. And like Christmas, you know, it's easy to just celebrate that the one holiday and kind of move on, right? And it's done. But Easter's not done yet. And I think after this week, we realize that now more than ever, we need to bear witness to the resurrection. It is needed in our culture. It is needed for us. It is needed for our neighbors. And so we're going to continue to look at this. And as you read what the gospel writers have done, as they talk about the resurrection of Jesus, you also see that there are things that happened after he rose from the dead. That the disciples continued to spend many days with Jesus uh, after he came out of the grave. And so we're going to continue to explore that just a little bit. And I, and I said we'll explore that today. Some, some different accounts are given by the gospel writers, and we explore one of them, which is given by, uh, by Luke himself. And so we want to be able to explore what's been passed down to us. Why? Well, for many reasons. One reason is that in Christian circles, we often use this word called witness. The witness is a big thing, witnessing. And what, what are we bearing witness to? Well, Christians are called to bear witness to the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as this is described in many ways throughout the scriptures. But we're called to bear witness. And so we need to know a little something about what we're called to bear witness to. As we speak of it, as we testify to it, give testimony, what are we trying to give testimony about? Well, at the basic level, we're giving testimony to God's salvation, or as it says in the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, God's rescue. You know, we're, we're looking at God, God's rescue. What is he doing to, to save us? And how do we bear witness to that? I believe that the resurrection of Jesus himself reveals some things about the gospel. It reveals some things about the gospel that we are called, Christians are called to bear witness to. So in this scripture this morning, I'm going to go through three particular things. One is that the the gospel that it reveals, that Jesus' resurrection reveals that the gospel is for the whole person. It also reveals that the gospel is for all nations. And it reveals that the gospel is about God's work. It's about his work. Now, I have a fourth point, but I'll get to that. I'll reveal it when we get to it. So let's, let's get started. Let's jump in. The whole person. The gospel is for the whole person. Not the part, not just a part, but the whole so the disciples had heard from, you know, the, the first witnesses to the resurrection. This is what happens before we get to this text that we read this morning, right? The disciples had heard from these first, the first witnesses to the resurrection. Who were what? Who were women, okay? Now, this is, this is one little side fact, and some of you have heard this before. 
you know, unfortunately, back in that day, in that culture, the testimony of a woman was inadmissible, right, in a court. And so, the reason why I mention that, if you were trying to come up with something like a resurrection and to build a movement off of it, like, oh, Jesus rose from the dead, and here's, a credible, here's some credible evidence, you wouldn't use women, right? You wouldn't do that unless that's what really happened. And so you see here, God is already being subversive of our cultures in, the, in, in just in the resurrection of Jesus. But, the, you know, these disciples, so they hear from the women who had already believed and already seen Jesus, and, and then they came and reported. And so they, they hadn't seen Jesus yet. And here they are in this scene, just they're, they're waiting. They're, 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 they're scared. The doors are locked. They don't know what's going to happen to them. Jesus was killed, and we might be next. So we don't know what to do. So Jesus appears to them. And so John, John um, himself, you know, he, he kind of helps us a little bit. If you look at his account of what happens uh, in this scene, you know, he has a sort of parallel passage of what happens here, the, the, the apostle John. And he, he says that, he gets into it, he says that, that, that these disciples were frightened precisely because they had, they had the doors locked. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, Jesus just kind of appeared but they were wondering if they were going to die. And so Jesus doesn't even knock on the door. He just appears. He just, you know, voila, yeah, there he is, right, right there in the midst of the room. And then like, what? Um, and, you know, and so they think they've seen a ghost. Right? And they're, they're wondering, like, who, who is this? What is this? I have no idea what's happening right now. We're already on edge. Like, our emotions are already tender. And so, and, 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 and so and now, and now all of a sudden, somebody just appears while the doors were locked. What are we supposed to do? Right? And let, let's be clear about this. That not, um, not everyone in that day believed in anything like uh, necessarily in anything beyond this life. Anything beyond. Not, not everybody believed in that, that sort of deal. And, uh, you know, so, like, there, just like today, there are many who would have been shocked by seeing someone appear after they had died. Right? It, it, that was just this wasn't a, a normal thing that would have happened. Okay? Sometimes we have this view. We kind of look back and, oh, a bunch of superstitious people, and they believe in all kinds of stuff. And so why wouldn't they just believe in a ghost, and why would they be fine? But they didn't necessarily, not all people necessarily believe just like um, we don't today in something after life. But somehow... We've gotten this idea that life after death is about floating in the clouds. That it's about being these bodiless people who are uh, just kind of out there about, right? So when we die, we'll just be, we'll be playing harps or something, you know, and, and it'll just be worship all, you know, all day long and we'll be playing flutes and stuff. I don't know, right? Or we'll be somewhere in the divine mind. Right? It, it, immaterial. And all this stuff just really won't be there. But friends, I come to tell you this morning that that's not Christian at all. That's not even close. Because Jesus says himself, look at this. Verse 39. He says to the disciples, see my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. It's me. It's me. Really me. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And it says, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet 
And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? So giving a further proof, he takes food. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them, right there in their sight. The risen Jesus has a glorified body, right? His body is glorified. Like a, there's, there's, there's something, you know, it's a little different in some ways, obviously, because he can kind of just move through things or appear and that sort of stuff, right? And we can't do that. But yet they could still touch him. He could still eat. He could still taste. The body is real. And if we have hope in Christ, we have part of our hope is that, that God has promised to us the same kind of body. That, we'd be, that it would be glorified. Right? He promises to those who, who trust in him. And he promises this uh, not, not only for Christians, not only for those who believe it. He promises it for every material thing. For Paul himself. Who, the Apostle Paul, who encountered the risen, the risen Jesus uh, and became a major leader of the early church, he says this in one of his letters. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And he says, what? The, re the redemption of our bodies. See, the, the redemption of our bodies. And it also all of creation waits eagerly because all of creation itself will be renewed. That's everything. So, right? and, and he wrote to, he was writing then to, uh, Paul was writing to a culture that believed in resurrection for souls only. Right? As he's writing to those who lived in the Roman world, they, they would think, oh yeah, you know, there's, there's a spiritual thing. Yeah, there's life after death, but it's just kind of, it's just spiritual. So this was revolutionary back then, even as it is now, as we hear it. But Paul is saying, and, and Jesus, I believe, is saying to us that the entire created order, from animals all the way to the stars, will be restored and made incorruptible. That's incredible. And this is what I never tire of saying. Brothers and sisters, our bodies matter. Right? They, they matter. Now, it, it may not show, like if you look at my waist, <laughs> it may not show that I think our bodies matter. Okay? But... At, at our resurrection, weight won't be an issue, right? And it's, it's not going to be an issue. But, but neither will gluttony or eating disorders or, or poorly processed foods. Like, that stuff, it, it just, it won't be there. So the, so the gospel gives us hope for our bodies. And, I, and I, I know there's some of us this morning who are thinking like, Lord, please, there's got to be a change for me physically, I'm hoping for some change to happen materially that I could, I could experience goodness, not just for my soul, but for my body. And so Jesus being alive before his disciples in the flesh is proof that there, there will be a future, complete, incorruptible bodily resurrection. That's part of the hope. It's part of the thing that, that Jesus reveals about what we're called to witness to so the risen Jesus reveals that the gospel is for our bodies as well as our souls. It's for the whole person. Second part, that the, that what the, the resurrection of Christ reveals that the gospel is for all nations. It's for all people. But Jesus himself said in verse 47, he says, he talks about, uh, he said, well, let me start at 46. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins 
should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now, I'm not going to belabor the point here because I think what I'm about to say should be fairly obvious. But if the gospel is for the whole, whole person, and if it's also for all nations, then it should be clear that all bodies, regardless of what hue or shade or features or clothing on them, matters to God. All bodies. Human history has shown that many who name the name of Christ have gotten this wrong. They messed up. But here again, we receive some, some weird ideas about life after death, right? Some stuff that I don't, I don't know where we got this from. Uh, you know, that, that it, it, you know, one weird idea is that we'll just be floating in the clouds, you know, when, when everything is all said and done and God brings his kingdom and we're just going to be floating about in the clouds. That's, what, that's one weird idea. The other one is that, you know, that we're, we're going to experience when, when God comes and restores all things, we're going to experience some kind of our cultural experience, right? Some kind of our cultural existence, where as if cultures won't matter. You know, there, there won't be any cultures, right? Many Christians believe that somehow God is culture blind. And that suppressing our cultural distinctives is some kind of mark of spiritual maturity. Where do we get that? That's not, that's not Jesus. That's not Christian at all. But Jesus is saying the good news will create a new community. And he says here to his disciples, beginning in Jerusalem. It's going to start there, but then move outward to all nations. And an intercultural community will be born out of various cultures as they, they kind of mix it up with each other. Right, and, and, and we read Luke's other book. Luke's other book it was, is the book of Acts. You start going into that and you start seeing what, what starts to happen. Like once this, this, these things go on, when the different nations start mixing together and the cultures start coming together, right? But these, there's a variety of people groups that God is calling and we were never called to suppress or to give up our cultures and to become Jewish for the sake of being a quote-unquote real Christian. Like, I mean, that, was ne that was never part of it. In God's new world, you're going to smell curry and kimchi and cornbread and bacalao. Right? It's, it, it's, it's all going to be there. Right? And all will be brought to God to honor him. And that's the point. That God wants all people, all nations to come and to honor him with everything that they are. And he said, Jesus said that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Now, that there's been this saying, you've all heard it, that everybody's poop stinks. Everybody's poop stinks, right? No, nobody's clean, right? You kind of know what that means. No culture, no group, no nation is purely innocent. Each of us has a heritage that has something in it, something that's, if we, if we unearthed it and brought it up, it'd be shameful. Each culture has something in its ways and in its beliefs that, 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 that makes us want to hide sometimes. And, and each culture has been guilty of doing some things that would, would make us stand before God and, kind of, and wince at least, wince a little bit and say, oh, oh man, you know, I, I can't believe I'm connected to that. But God is calling the entire world, all nations, to give up their idols, right? This is what he's talking about when he's talking about repentance, that you would turn away from from leaning on these idols. And, what, you know, these idols are the, those, those things or the, the people in which we place our trust, right, in order to restore our dignity or to, to have our sin removed, right? The, the idols are the things in which we place our trust to restore 
our dignity ought to have our sin removed. And, and all, people from all kinds of cultures do this in various ways. We have all kinds of idols. There's a, there's a ton of them. But God is calling us. Christ is calling all nations to give up their idols and to trust in God alone. Because Jesus was the only one to die as if he were a sinner and to come out of the grave with a new body. Who else has been able to do that? No one. Right? All nations, I would think, that all nations, all cultures, all ethnicities wish to be free from guilt and from corruption. And if we would do that, then we need to be able to smash our idols at the feet of Christ alone. See, and I, and I think our cultural personalities, they will necessarily change, but they won't be obliterated. They're just going to be renewed and restored and reshaped in, in such a way that it begins to give God glory. But it's not going to be gone. Our cultures matter. And so the risen, the risen Christ reveals that the gospel is for all nations. So it's for the whole person. It's also for all nations. But the other point that I have here, which I think is central to this, and I think the, the resurrection of Christ truly helps us to understand, is that the gospel is about God's work. It's about his work. See, we, we're, we're eager to see change in our day. We're eager to make a difference, as we should be. There are many things that, that need to be done away with, and there are things that don't exist yet that we need to bring into existence. We want change. But it's easy to conflate that desire for even what, what we've already talked about, a sort of intercultural and physical and culturally uh, flourishing revolution. Right? To, to conflate that with the gospel itself. It's easy to make radical diversity and, and material blessings equal to the gospel. But, but, but that would be a mistake. Because what, what does the, the gospel mean? The gospel means good news. Right? It's good news, not good works. Good news, not good deeds. The, and, and news is a, is a message about something that's happened, right? And, and, not, and not about what we can do as a result of that. And somehow we can, get, we can get so wrapped up and so excited about the results of the gospel that we lose the gospel itself. And it's, and it's not either or, but it's both and. But we tend to do like sacrifice one for the other. But we have to make, we have to be clear. That if we lose the gospel, we lose everything else. Because all the other stuff doesn't matter. I mean, think about it. You think about um, the, the kind of diversity that we try to get into. The, um, uh, what, I mean, economic renewal. We think about things that we're trying to do for the planet. The way in which we're trying to seek renewal in our relationships. Restore marriages and friendships. And, uh, and try to make equitable housing and all that kind of stuff. You, we can do all those things without the gospel. Like, I mean, what, what you see, so if we start making, but if we start making, there's a difference between the two. Right? That, that's not good news. That's just good deeds. Like, hey, we're working really hard to try to make the world a better place. Hey, right? There, I can listen to a couple of songs that inspire me to do that, and it's, it's great. I don't need the gospel for that. I don't need religion. I don't need Christian spirituality for that. But our world seems to be hopelessly caught in death and sin. It seems to be hopelessly caught in something that it cannot break. No, it cannot break out of, no matter how hard it works. And so the gospel says that something has happened, that a new king is in charge, 
that someone has broken into our everyday existence and is bringing new life, that Christ himself suffered for us, and on the third day, he rose. And it's all God's doing. Look at verse 44. It says, it says this, that then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. So that's his way of saying all of the scriptures. Remember at this time, all they had were the, were the Hebrew scriptures. There was no New Testament yet. Right? So all the scriptures, the whole Bible must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. But see, this king who has come, Christ, to save us, was all a part of God's promise for us. God promised it. And Jesus is saying the entire scriptures speaks of me. From Genesis all the way down to Malachi, right? Like the whole deal. Like it, it, it's talking about me. And then we would say all the way to Revelation. Now we have the New Testament too. So it was the Genesis of Revelation. It's all about Jesus. And, it, and, and so this is a part of God's promise. Like we didn't promise Jesus to ourselves. You know, it'd be great if we had a Messiah. Well, pe cultures have tried to do that. That's true. Cultures have tried to come up with like their own sort of Messiah idea. And they've made a promise to themselves. And then they're trying to fit somebody into it. It doesn't quite work out. Um, that's an understatement. But, you know, I mean, we... we <laughs> We, I mean, we've seen this, right? And so, look, what Jesus does with his righteous life is he shows that he alone is able to pay for all of our sin. Like, he lives perfectly. And then he's able to rise, to enjoy human perfection. And so, so when we say no to our idols and we turn to Christ as our king, then God applies all the rewards that belong to Jesus he takes all those and he applies them to us, right? As, as we're united to Christ through the Holy Spirit. Now that's good news. And that good news, if you see it, is a Trinitarian conspiracy. And right, right, right. For those of us who like conspiracy theories, and I like a lot of them, you know, so just because it's just funny or whatever. But here's, here's a true one. That the Father, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit from all of eternity conspired to do all this work that has brought about our salvation. They conspired together within himself to do this, right? And, and so we're called to live in that and to bear witness to it. See, it it's, a, it's, a, it's a living and a, a witnessing that is based on grace. A power that doesn't come from within, but from above. Grace. Right? And we've heard grace explained before, you know, unmerited favor. Yes. But it is also, it is power from on high. Power that covers. The kingdom of God is at hand, we may think to ourselves from time to time. The kingdom, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. But I'm failing in my body. The kingdom of God is at hand, but I, I keep failing with my culture. I look around and I think, mm, man, we got to do better, right? I know for, you know, for us black folk, sometimes we look around, that's the saying, we look, we go, man, we got to do better. We got to do better. You look at people and right, we just, we got to do better. You know, and we, but the scriptures tell us it is by grace we have been saved. 
And we're, it's by grace that we are being saved. And it's grace that we will be saved. Right? So the resurrection reveals that the good news of the gospel is by God's grace. And it is God's work that is, that is central to the whole deal and not ours. Right? So, all right. So it speaks to the whole person. The gospel does. It's for the whole person. It is for all nations. The resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that the gospel is about God's work. But there's another point that I need to bring up here. I said that there was a fourth one. And this is one that I, just as a Christian, have struggled with. And I, I suspect that many of you have struggled with. Uh, for some time. Like, I've been in walking with the Lord since I was in middle school. So it's like over <clears throat> 30 years. Um, but, so, <laughs> but, you know, but, but I, I'm still struggling with this one. There's something else that the resurrection of Jesus reveals, at least right here in this text. And it is this, that it is for those who wait on the Lord. It's for those who wait on the Lord. Now, I don't, I don't mean waiting in the way that we might think, right? I'm not talking about being on the line at DMV. I'm not talking about, you know, being at like Carowinds and you're just like, how, how long, oh Lord, how long? You know, it just, <laughs> roller coasters way over there, <laughs> right? I'm not, not talking about that, right? <laughs> no, but there's, there's work, now there's, there's work for us to do, right? Now I've said already that, you know, it's, it's the, the good news of our salvation, of God's rescue, it's, it's God's work, right? If he doesn't work, our work doesn't make any sense, right? But, but there's, there's work for us to do. He's, Jesus is clearly calling his disciples to work here in this passage. Um, but it's a long and sometimes hard work, isn't it? To bear witness to the good news of God's rescue, to bear witness with our bodies, and to bear witness in our, with our cultures and to bear witness to God's grace is sometimes hard. So it's a long journey. And you see here that these disciples are, are commissioned, right, just as we are. Jesus said to them, you are, you are witnesses of these things. Right? He's not just stating a fact. He's also, there's a command wrapped up in that, right? You, you, he's not just saying you are witnesses. He's saying you are to be witnesses. He's calling them to it. This is Luke's version of what Matthew does with the Great Commission. And, and we're to be witnesses of these things, but, but are we really? Are we really witnesses? Right? Even to this core part of the good news, which is the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, are we really witnesses to it? And how can we bear witness without a living knowledge of Jesus? Jesus says this, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Until you're clothed with power from on high. Here's a simple fact. We cannot bear witness to who we do not know. We can't do it. Right, we might be eager to, to be about all these different good works, even very spiritual things, counseling and social justice and engaging in a culture and teaching good doctrine to our children and to each other and even evangelizing. 
We could be committed to all these things without waiting on God. See, the core of the good news is this, that, that Christ has made a way to God for sinners. He's made a way to God. But the danger for us, brothers and sisters, those who call upon the name of the Lord, is that we can go upon our merry way without God. We can do many wonderful things without God. I mean, we need to be able to slow down long enough to hear from the risen Savior. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it takes tragedy in our lives to, to do that, doesn't it? Sometimes something happens and it just knocks us flat and we can't do anything. And then God starts to speak. In the middle of our dark time, we begin to hear from the Lord. And he begins to speak into the hidden and the locked places of our heart. God comes in. And he has a word for us and he begins to empower us. And he begins to let us know that we are not alone and it is not our mission, but it is his. And he has called us to be partners with him. See, this isn't about quiet times, just quiet times. When I talk about slowing down, it's about enjoying God. Right? It's about being with him, enjoying your Savior. Right? I mean, Jesus essentially says to his disciples here, look, here Here's the mission, but, 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 but wait for me. Wait for me. Hey, if, if we wait on God, then we will be made to share in his nature. Because we expose our, our hearts to him, and then God begins to do some deep transformation. as we slow down and let him work. So we begin to share in his nature if we will wait on the Lord. If we wait on God, then we will learn how to, to listen and to obey God in, in our present circumstances. Right? And, and that's a desire for many of us, is we want to be able to hear from the Lord about our present, right? We don't just want the facts of things that have happened thousands of years ago or what may happen in the future. We want to know, is there a word for today? Does God speak, right? You've got to be able to slow down long enough to listen. If we wait on God, we'll experience answered prayer. And learn to trust God no matter what, hear this, no matter what that answer might be. Right? Now, you heard it said, some people say, hey, you know, hey, there are three answers to the prayer that God gives, right? Yes, no, and wait. Right? But those are, I, I'd say, you know, that, that means there's no such thing as unanswered prayer. It's just, it's just different answers. <laughs> right? And, and so, there, but as, as, we, as we pray to God, as we begin, begin to be honest, I mean, I mean, really being honest with God. Praying to him about the things that are really there in our hearts. But see, if we're just going with the surface, that stuff never gets up. Like, we just, we never share it with him. God already knows. He's sovereign. But again, he's, you see, he's calling us into a relationship with him. He's saying, wait, wait for me. Wait for me. And when I come, talk. Speak. And then, and then listen. Right? And as we begin to do that, over time, we begin to trust God more and more with whatever answer that he desires to give to us. If we wait on God, then we'll come to delight in him, even as the disciples did. I mean, these are, these are men, and yes, women who are also disciples along with the apostles, you know, giving their lives for the Lord. Right? And, and we know that, you know, for some of you who are Bible scholars and all that stuff, you know, or you've been through Bible classes, you know that that word witness, that it is similar to the word that comes from the word that we use for martyr. 
right? And, and so, you know, someone who has given up their life for a great cause, and in, in this case, it is for, for Jesus himself, for the name of Christ. And, there's, and we see that these were men and women whose lives were so changed by the risen Jesus that they were willing to give up their lives. And yes, there's an extreme way. There's one in which you, you know, that which you give up your life and you, you actually die. But then there's that day-to-day -day dying to self that we're all called to. But is it duty or is it delight? And do you long for that delight? Do you to experience that? As we said just last week, I think it was last week in our congregational meeting, we were talking about spiritual growth. That spiritual growth is what we desire here at this church is to see people experience not only intentional obedience, but joyful obedience to Christ. Where does that come from? Well, <laughs> it can't come from anything apart from waiting on God. We have to wait on him. Because we wait on him, then we have this ongoing knowledge of the risen Lord. See, we're not bearing witness to something that, that just happened many years ago, or maybe that happened to you when you experienced this spiritual experience when you're in college or you in high school or something like that. Well, yeah, I remember back in the day, you know, we used to be on fire for the Lord and used to do all this stuff. And we'd be out there, you know, serving the poor and, you know, just singing all day. And we'd stay up to two o'clock in the morning just singing hymns and all that kind of stuff. Like, okay, you know, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to sing at two o'clock in the morning anymore <laughs> uh, because I, I get real tired and that sort of deal. But although given the right circumstances, it may happen, but um, we can't rely on past experiences for the Lord in order to strengthen our, weak, our witness. We need an ongoing relationship where Christ is alive. And Jesus said to his disciples, wait on me. Wait on the spirit, right? I mean, we can get busy doing spiritual things and, and still wonder what it's like to actually walk with Christ. Haven't you sometimes wondered, you read the gospels, you heard these stories and you're like, man, what would it have been like to ha have actually like walked with Jesus, to have been there, to see him do all those miracles and to, to hear him pray and so on. Hey, guess what? Jesus is saying to us with this text, hold up, wait, and I'll show you. I'll show you what it's like. And this is even a prayer on, on the hearts of the apostles. For Paul, once again, he says this in, in, in his, his letter to the church of, of, the, of believers in Ephesus. He says this. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You see that? He's, he's praying. He says, this is for all nations, all cultures, right? That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God himself is the good news. God himself. I mean, in the end, we want to be loved and to love. In the end, it's not our achievements and all that stuff that we really want when all is said and done. It's to know that we still have the capacity to love and to be loved by others. Now, I'm going to tell myself here, and I, I, you know, I thought about this. I hesitated for a second, but I'm like, you know, by grace. Okay, so listen, you know. Brothers, y'all might want to take my man card after this, but it's fine. 
It's fine. One of my favorite films is Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. That and the sequel. Love it. Okay? So I'm sorry. I do. I just ah, yeah, eat it up. It's great. So and I can watch it like five, ten times, just like the Avengers or whatever. It's just so it's fantastic. But one of the reasons why I love it so much, and I haven't read the books, and so I don't know. Um, but 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 the, but the movie, it's the movies itself, right? What's what's so incredible is that here are these young women who are bound to each other by the symbol of these genes, right? That they ship to each other as they're going through life, as they're going through their journey. And 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 but as as they wear these genes, they put them on or look at them, and it, they remember that as they're going through some of the difficulties of life, just the difficulty of growing up and experiencing a world that's not always what it should be, that they are not alone, that they are loved, and that they can still have the capacity to love. And you and I have something greater than a pair of genes to transform us and to bind us together. Jesus said, wait and I will send you what the Father has promised, and you will be clothed with power from on high. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes us and re reminds us that even in our darkest hours, we can still be more human than we have ever dreamed. And we are closer to God even during those times that we may have ever been before. That the Spirit is with us, helping us to bear witness, even in the midst of our weakness. Right? So, it's, 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 it's more than being able to do great things. More than that. But we need Christ to appear in the locked places of our hearts. And saying, peace to you. Peace to you. That is what we long for. To be able to testify that not just I knew Jesus, not that I will know him, but I am knowing him. I am knowing the, and I know that's not right English, but I, I know I am knowing the risen Lord. I am knowing the risen Jesus and he is changing me. Love is lifting me. Love is in me. Love is working out of me. Changing my life. I know he's alive because of what he's doing in my life right now. Christ is doing the impossible through the presence of his spirit. He is risen. It's easy to take for granted that sinners like you and I get, get to know our creator and be treated and to grow as his partners. It's so easy to take that for granted. But that, brothers and sisters, is, is at the core of our dignity as human beings. Well, who else gets to say that? Christ says, wait don't preach who you don't know. I'll send my spirit to you as the Father promised, and it will be as good as having me. Just as good. And if you're wondering how you're going to keep bearing witness until the resurrection or until God calls you home, whichever one may call first, we have to learn how to wait on God. And as you do that, then you can say, as the prophet Isaiah told us, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint 
And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths, we saw that this past week, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Christ is risen. Peace to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, we need you now. In the present, right here in Charlotte, we have struggled. And I know, God, that in the midst of this congregation, even, that there are stories that have, are untold. And it's not just the, the, the terrible shooting that's happened or the other homicides that we're aware of in our city, Lord. But some of us have had to, have had to bury children this past week. And, 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 and others know that, that, that death is at the door, ready to, to tear apart their families. God, we are weak in its presence. We are weak in the presence of, 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 of temporary life, weak in the presence of death. But, oh God, you sent us a king who is risen. And he has told us to wait on him. That we can be clothed with power from on high. Lord, we cannot make it through on our own. But if you go with us, we will make it to heaven's shore. And even more than that, God, even now, we'll be able to display your glory before the world because you will be in us at work showing yourself to be powerful and mighty, O Lord of hosts. We pray, O God, that as you continue to help us to bear witness to your good news, which is for the whole person and for all of our neighbors, for all nations, all cultures, and which is completely about your work, oh God, that you would help us not to forget you, to call your name, to wait on you, that your glory might be made manifest through us and our weakness. Have mercy on us, oh God. You who are strong and mighty for sinners, who have loved them, loved us, from all of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.